What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. Hey, Dream Builder, this episode is powered by Design Crowd. Design Crowd is a website that helps entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses get creative and quality designs from custom logos to business cards and even web designs. There's a community of over 900,000 designers from all across the world that's ready to bring your idea to life in as little as ours. So head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash dream nation and see what all the hype is about. What's up, Dream Builder? We are back with another episode, and this one I'm sure will be a lot of information, inspiration, but hopefully it will help you with execution. And so today I got my brother on the line, Mr. Jeremy Ryan Slate. Jeremy, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? Hey, Dream Nation. How's it going, everybody? I'm stoked to be here with you two guys today and hopefully like give you the thing that you're looking for to kind of make that leap forward today. Oh, absolutely. That's what we all love. We love the inspiration, but more importantly, we love to execute. So I always like to make sure that we start off with the proper introduction. And the way that I do that is I compare us as entrepreneurs, change makers, thought leaders to superheroes. And the reason being is because we're constantly flying around the world. We're putting on this cape and we're trying to solve some of the world's biggest problems. And so we all know who the Superman is, but a lot of the times we can't really tell who the guy, which is Clark Kent, behind the S on the chest is. And so yeah. to point that question to you, we all know who this Superman is by the name of Jeremy Slate, but who is that guy behind the S on the chest? Who's that Clark Kent for Jeremy Slate? I am the world's biggest nerd. I have a master's in ancient history. So like, go figure, man. I took Latin for 12 years. Uh, I'm a father of one, soon to be two. Nice. Um, and uh, we love animals in my family. I have a, a border collie corgi that's a rescue, a toy poodle, and we have a miniature pig. Um, in addition to that, I have a podcast called Create Your Own Life. I've had for five years, and I am a former competitive power lifter, um, you know, turned entrepreneur, man. I love it, man. So take us back, like when yeah. you say – uh, when, when you first grew up, I mean, did you always have the entrepreneurial spirit? Cause it seems like you've always been able to get out of your comfort zone for anybody who looks at you and, and looks at your social media or any of those things. They see that you tried a lot of things that a lot of people would never dare to do. Yeah. So has that always been the case for you or when did you develop it? So, you know, you know, what's really interesting, man, is I, as I like to say, like, until I was like, like, I don't know, in my mid twenties, I was kind of living somebody else's life plan. Um, you know, because my parents always wanted to be you know, like my, my parents are both like 
barely high school graduates, but they're like awesome people. And so like for them, like go to college, get the degree, be a teacher, like that was the thing. Um, but here's the weird part about it. Like, and this is the part of my story that I've never figured out like where this fits. From the time I was 11 until the time I was 19, um, I had one of the uh, largest paper, paper routes in Northern New Jersey. Um, I started with one route, grew it to three, started with 80 customers, grew it to 280. And um, I went eight years making their honor roll every single month. Um, so like I had that in me. It just took me a really long time to see like, how does this whole thing fit, right? So I went through the education path. I went through, you know, kind of that whole thing. And then when I was 19, I was playing a football game. I was playing corner in my five-yard backpedal, stepped in a drain, tore three major ligaments in my knee um, and had what was supposed to be a really easy surgery, but they messed up the anesthesia. I actually got last rites. And here's the thing about it though, dude, it didn't change my life at all. Then when I was 24, um, I almost lost my mom and that actually made me, made, she had a, she had a really bad stroke and, you know, we still have her this day, but you know, she is, you know, severely disabled at this point. So it made me kind of look at everything I'm doing and be like, well, what do I actually want to do? Right? Like what, what do I want to make work? And that's what kind of set me on the path of like looking for something different, but it wasn't, it wasn't in there right away. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. And that's so powerful that you say that because you're like, yo, I know I have all the intangibles and I know I've felt that way many a times. And yeah. I think no matter what we're doing in life, like there's no certain age that that stops, right? right? Like there's, it's always there. And so I love that you said that because somebody else that's watching or listening at this right now, they're like, yo, I know that I have all the components as well, but hopefully that is a sign for them to just keep going, keep walking on your path. Right. And you don't have to have yeah. it all figured out, but there's always a silver lining out of everything everything. And so talk to me about when you first decided that you were going to become an entrepreneur, right? Like, what did that look like? What was your first business? Because now you teach people in the world of podcasting, right? And you've built your brand in that and many other yeah. things. But what did that first one look like for you? So this is kind of interesting. So uh, my, as I said, my mom had had a stroke when I was 24. So I kind of was like, Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something that matters. Like, what do I do? What do I do? And I had this weird idea when I was growing up younger that like, and, and I don't know even know where I picked this up from. Maybe it's from my dad. Like, I don't quite know that the idea of being an entrepreneur meant you just want to be lazy and make mm -hmm. money for not, like not doing anything. So like, to me, like you had to work hard. You had to like, you know, bust your butt all the time. And when I realized later on that word had a different definition, that was, that was pretty interesting. But my wife was presented this network marketing opportunity, which I didn't know what that was. So I'm like, oh my God, I just got to find two people and I'm gonna be a millionaire like next week. Um, so I'm like, it's, it's, this is so easy, dude. Like anybody could do this. Um, you know, it took me like, I was in doing that for about two years and I did not become a millionaire doing that, but it was kind of the first thing to like get me started. Right. And I, and I like to tell people that, you know, whether you succeed or fail in network marketing is one of the best boot camps in business, right? You can learn Thanks. so much about yourself, about the things you don't know and about how to have a lot of, you know, hard business skills. And it was from there, I jumped into selling life insurance, which I was good at. I just hated the feeling of sitting down with somebody and like, so you're going to die and you need to buy this. And it's, it's a downer to do that though. I was like, I made a lot of commissions off it. I was good at it. And so I did that for a short period of time and moved from there to then private labeling and selling products on Amazon. So like I was trying to find that thing that I could make into a really great business, but th there was always that, I guess that match with me missing. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of people, like they try to find that thing, but it doesn't match who they are as a person. You know what I mean? Right, for sure. And no, so man, that's so I first got my first ever journey, I would say in network marketing as well. I tried my hand at so I feel many like everybody things. does. <laughs> everybody does. Cause it's that thing, but, but I don't want to harp too much on it. I just want to say, 
I, it's the uh, path for those of us that have no experience, right? And that's why I've seen I've seen a lot of people make so much money in it, but it's the path for those of us that have no experience. Oh, I, 100%. And, and it, just like you said, it taught me a lot of business skills, yes. hard business skills. And really the number one thing that we all need to know is how to develop resiliency, right? Mm -hmm. And how to develop consistency and be persistent, right? All those three combinations, like if you can develop those three, you can succeed in anything that you want to do in life. And network yeah. marketing does tell you that. So I always say like, even though those products and services were not for me, the values and the, the skills that I learned from it, like yes. I would never give them back, right? Yeah. And so, and you're exposed to so much more, right? You're exposed yeah. to books like richest man in babylon or go for no or you know all these other things that i was like wow like i didn't even know that that existed so i'm glad that you made that a point because for a lot of people they have this bad taste in their mouth about network marketing and yeah. it's not even that bad it's just you got to find the product or the service that really aligns with you and where you want to go well and here's the point to that i'll make as well like you know i have a bachelor's degree a master's degree and i studied in europe like, hmm. you know, whether you spend money or make money in network marketing, it's still cheaper than the $175,000 it cost me for that education. You know what I mean? Right. So, and, that, and that's Next. the thing you have to look at it. And honestly, in my opinion, it was a way more valuable education because it's what I still use to this day. Hmm. So I, I think that's the lens you have to look at it for. And it's, don't even get me started on education because it's a crime that somebody can't get a business loan out of high school, but they can get a $100,000 loan for college. But any, anyway, I, I think it's, you have to look at it in that perspective of what can I learn from this? Like even like life insurance, man, the greatest skill I learned from that is cold calling. Mm. I can make a, before that, if one person told me, no, I was going to shrivel up in a ball and die. Um, you know, I can make a hundred, 150 calls a day and I, and I can keep going. And I think that is a very, very valuable skill. Oh, absolutely. That's that persistence. That's that resiliency. I love it, man. So let's talk about the world of podcasts. And this is something yeah. that I was excited to bring you on because you've been a staple in the game five years. I mean, I don't know. There's no statistics out yet of how long uh, the average podcast lasts before they die off. But I know it's not five years. It's probably not even a year. Well, that, I can tell you the average episode is, is less than 20. It's usually about 17 where most people die. I don't have a time span on that, but most people die at 17 episodes. Wow, man. <laughs> and so you've been able, I think I want to say you've over 800 now, right? We just passed 800 uh, last week. Wow, congratulations. So talk to me about how you decided, like where did podcasting start to come in? Cause you've always been a pioneer when it comes to the audio space. Why did you decide to get into podcasting? Well, so, here, so here's the interesting part about it because this actually goes, it, it's funny cause I always say my education didn't matter but at the same time it did. Cause like um, I discovered podcasts in college. I had the coolest, um, in, gra in grad school, I had the coolest thesis advisor. Um, he was, he knew everything there was to know about ancient history, but he looked like Neil Patrick Harris and he was funnier than Neil Patrick Harris. So that was every class. Um, and so he was my advisor for my thesis, which I wrote about Alexander the Great. And um, I walked into his office one day and he's, he's listening to it. It sounds like a, like a, you know, Z100 morning show or something like that. I'm like, what is this? And he's like, oh, it's a podcast. It was called the No Agenda Show. And they basically make fun of the news two days a week for like three hours at a clip. But they do that from the, from the viewpoint of like a morning zoo. So it's like hilarious. I'm like, oh my right. gosh, this is funny. So I had discovered that and then I was like, okay, there's more shows out there. And then kind of the, the at that point in time, because this is 2007, um, the, the shows I was listening to were a lot of audiobooks that were still in the public domain because you didn't really need a license to reproduce those. So there was, for me, there was the No Agenda show and there was books in the public domain. And, you know, later on there's like Pat Flynn and stuff like that. So I'd always been a fan, right? It was something I was really, really interested in. And I always thought, well, you know, one day I, I could do that, right? You know, I could make that work. Um, but there was always that hesitance there of, you know, do I have enough information? Am I good enough? Whatever it is. 
And it took me until 2014 to even try the first time. Mm. And the first version of my show was called Rock Your Life. Um, and it was like this like life coachy type whatever. And I, I'm the furthest thing from that because I like lack empathy in a lot of places. So like it just was not true to who I am. And it didn't last more than like 30 days and whatever it was. And I didn't have a great mic. So it was just it was horrible. So then in 2015, once I had failed at all these things, I'm like, all right, well, what are you going to kind of do with the rest of your life? I was working at my friend's marketing firm, building websites, because I taught myself how to do it from watching YouTube videos and reading blogs. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just give this a shot. Like I'm going to do it as a professional and just really go for it. So I made a list of the top 100 people I most admired, reached out to a lot of those people. I had a really good rate of them saying yes. And then we had 10,000 listens in our first 30 days, man. And kind of the rest was history from there. Wow. So when you say I'm going to do, I want to be a professional at this that's where you, point. yeah. Like what, first off, that's, that's huge to even say to yourself, right? Because yeah. for a lot of people, they start off dabbling as a hobby. I'm just going to try it out. But when you yeah. ask yourself that question, do I want to be a professional at this? That changes and reframes the mindset on things yeah. that you're like, okay, I do want to make sure that I got a professional mic. I do want to make sure that I'm showing up professionally when my guests come on that all these other things. But I want to ask you when you said professionally, was it to be a professional podcaster as in you can get sponsors on your shows or was you, were you doing anything with like the production side? what did being a professional look like to you when you first said that so it's actually just a viewpoint thing it's not about money it's not about any of those things I had read a pay a, a article um, like not too long before that it was called professionalism by L Ron Hubbard and hmm. he talks about the issue of professional professionalism versus dilettantism and being a dilettante is one of the biggest problems of society the dilettante is what you just call it, it's a dabbler somebody does a little bit of this a little bit of that a little bit of this a little bit of that and they're never going to like truly pursue something so, you know, like being a professional is saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it like somebody that would do this as a professional. That does, has nothing to do with income. It has nothing to do with money, but it's an approach. It's a mindset. Right. The professional would have good audio. A professional would look at like, how does the industry treat this? A professional would look at what does good design look like? You know, what does a good interview look like? So like, even when I approached interviews early on, like I started looking at like who I thought were really good interviewers, like, you know, like Larry King or like Paul Harvey or like people like that, because I want to see like, how do they run an interview? Um, and I just, I, there's so much you can pick up for that. It, professionalism is literally just a viewpoint. It's not a money thing. It's, it's a viewpoint. I love it, man. And that's so funny because uh, I had a conversation with a good buddy of mine yesterday and we were talking about, you know, the Zig Ziglar quote where he says, you know, you are the sum of the five people who you surround yourself with the most. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, OK, great. And but the one thing that people never think about is who do I need to become to keep myself surrounded with yes. those people? Right. Yes. And so that's exactly what you just said. Like, who do I need to become to be a professional? Right. When we talk mm -hmm. about audio, when we talk about the way that we show up, when we talk about the questions that I ask, who do I need to become? What is Larry King doing? Right. Like, what is Tim Ferriss doing? I know when I first started, I was looking at Tim Ferriss. Right. I, I watched yeah. his YouTube stuff and I wanted to know how he came up with these questions and how he was able to get his guests. All mm -hmm. those things. If you want to be taken seriously, first off, you got to take yourself seriously. So I, I, I love that viewpoint. Now, so you decided to get into podcasting yeah. and how i guess even though you say it wasn't about money right and definitely understand that there's a lot of passion when you first were exposed to it but like how did you know that this is something that you could stick with like what were you exposed to to say i can make a career out of this 
Well, I think honestly, like, and not that it's a huge number, but I feel like for most people, it, it's a big number. Like having like 10,000 people be willing to listen to me who is nobody like month one, I'm like, whoa, we got something here. Right. So to me, it was just kind of like a proof of concept thing. Right. And then, you know, I didn't really figure out how to make money into it. And that was, so I was like eight months in, like, and we just had some basic like affiliate offers and stuff like that. So I kind of knew just that proof of concept right away. Like a lot of people are interested in what I have to say. Um, you know, I guess I'm not that bad at this, you know what I mean? So it was like, right. it was more of a proof of concept thing. And then, um, in 2015, um, towards the, or 2016, sorry, towards the middle of that year, um, we finally started having people say to us, like, can you do this for me? And I'm like, okay. So we started this business, like actually doing like a done for you podcast model for people. And I found out that I was only making one tenth of what I needed to make to actually make money. Um, and you know, it wasn't really like what I was looking for. But then people started saying to me, well, the shows are great, but actually one of the things you're doing, which is the PR plans you're doing for me and getting me on podcasts is making more sense. So when we found that focus on that and tried to become the best at that, that was the game changer right there. Got but it, it was in the beginning, it was, you know, proof of concept, you know, like, hey, we made a few bucks. This is good. I can pay for my hosting. And then it was just like people actually started asking for something. And that's when we kind of started delivering that. Man, I, I love it. The proof of concept. Like you, again, you don't have to know. You know, you don't have to know every single step. You just have to stay on your path and Correct. things will start to unveil themselves. Right. And and then you just got to be willing to capitalize on that opportunity when someone raises their hand and says, hey, here's the thing that I want your help with. I love it, man. Talk to me. Let's go back, though, because there's a lot of people right now that are going to be listening or um, watching this and they're going to say, OK, how exactly did he get 10,000 views or listens in his first month? Do you remember yeah. what that looked like? Was it a big oh, guest that you brought on? What did you do? So, well, part of it is, is good guests. Like that was really important. So like, you know, like I think Pat Flynn was in our first 20 episodes. Uh, John Lee Dumas was in our first 30. Um, so it was 150 to get Grant Cardone. So that was not part of that original launch. But like, it, so guest quality was important. But the thing I'll say, and the thing that anybody can do is it was just stupidity of not knowing I could fail. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it was basically like, I didn't have a big social media following. So what I did is I had built like this little email list in the time that I was doing network marketing. So I individually reached out to people and I knew that the thing that was gonna help me was subscribers because the number of things, the thing that ranks you in Apple Podcasts is the number of subscribers you gain per day in ratio to the current subscribers you currently have. So mm. if you can keep that number up and keep that growth number up, you're gonna climb charts. Right. Reviews are great, but they don't really influence ranking at all. Like they don't, um, they're just good for social proof. They show there's an audience there. So I was trying to get as many people as I could to review the show, but really subscribe. That was the big number. So I sent out 700 emails. I sent out 3000 individual LinkedIn messages by hand. Um, I actually typed these out cause I didn't know automation was a thing. So that took me hours as you can imagine. Um, I sent out text messages to every person I had in my phone. So there's like five or 600 people on my phone at that point in time. And you were you sending out. it out post episode saying, Hey, listen at this. Or were you saying I got three, three episodes, episodes out? I got three episodes out. I said, Hey, my podcast is out. I have, I really want to make a really big reach. Um, as you know, I have a really big purpose to help people. And this is the thing I finally found it. Um, you got to do me a favor and subscribe and review the show. It's really gonna. And I actually gave them like a link to show them how to do it too, because I found with the first few I sent out, like, how do I do it? What do I do? So I found like a, a, a how to article on the Apple website. And I included that link in the thing. So people could quickly see how to do it. Um, since that time, I learned there's a really great product called Rate This Podcast, which actually makes a short link for you. But you know, that's that's another subject. Um, 
but that's what I did, man. Like tried tried to get everybody I could to do it. Like even like we'd be out at the bar with friends and I'd be like, pull your phone out. We got to find my podcast. I got to help you like, you know, review it and help you subscribe to it and stuff like that. So it was like literally as much effort as I would take to make this thing go right is what I did. And that's something every single person can do. Oh, absolutely, man. I, I love that, right? We don't ask our, our friends, our family. And the great thing about a podcast is you're not asking them to buy anything, right? It no. costs them nothing to nothing. subscribe, to leave you a five-star review, you know, just to share your posts. It nothing. And in the world that we live in today, like it's going to be done within two seconds because somebody else will continue to keep scrolling. So it's right. not like it's got to live there forever. It's like the banner or something like that. Somebody will look at it and say, oh, and notoriety and exposure exposure to your podcast is everything. So yeah. I'm glad that you said that now after, and I'll, can I just add something to that too? Cause Absolutely. one of the things that happened is since this was in 2015, one of the things that was still open and then closed for two years was that it was new and noteworthy. So mm. we actually hit new and noteworthy. And we were featured on the top of iTunes for eight weeks. So that's a really, really, really big deal. Um, and then that was closed for about two years and then finally it's reopened again, but new and noteworthy and actually getting that attention to people that didn't know who I was early on was really helpful too. Do you feel like it's still, cause this is a conversation that we had a couple of buddies of mine that have podcasts. I don't feel well. like it's as relevant now as it was five years ago. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like five years ago, it was almost like this free paid advertising almost, you know what I mean? Right. And, and now it's kind of like, it's a little bit of a help, but I think then it was a really big deal. Yeah. And the only reason why I say that is because now so many more people listen on Spotify or Pocket Cast or, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Whereas in the beginning, Apple had a, a huge, huge, you know, monopoly on where people were listening, at least on their mobile phones. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big thing. But I still think that, again, it's free advertising, right? If you can make it up there. And so what you're saying is for someone who, who first gets in, they got to focus on subscribers rather than the yes. views or the downloads. Because every month that you can show that you can 20% over month over month that you're growing your subscribers, that's how you'll really start to hit the charts. Hey, Dream Builder. If you're anything like me, you have no idea how to come up with a quality logo or even a creative design. You know that quality is important, but it's not always the easiest to nail down, right? That's where Design Crowd comes in. Whether it's a logo, a website, book cover, or even a social media ad, they have a community of over 900,000 professional designers around the world ready to help solve your creative problem. Head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash dream nation to learn more and just for being a part of the dream nation tribe you're going to receive a special vip offer when you sign up of up to 150 dollars credit now instead of waiting weeks for an agency to pitch you an idea you'll be able to get a design of exactly what you need within just three days so again head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash dream nation and check it out big step for me to actually go on podcast which is funny because that's what we help people do now um but six months in i finally started going on shows so a lot of that early attention was as much as i could do and then i kind of hit like a plateau and then actually going on other shows talking with their hosts you know and, and having a good time like we are here that was the thing that kind of kept the growth going again you know what i mean so it's it's I hit a plateau and going on other shows helped me to help me to get up there. But initially it was all that, you know, like crazy outreach I was willing to do. And I had some guests in the beginning that were cool enough to share as well. So that does help too. I love it. Now where, I guess, why did you decide that you wanted out of everything you could do, right? You, mm -hmm. you have a lot of knowledge, I'm sure, but why did you decide PR? Like what was the infatuation with PR and helping other people get their message out? So um, I have the smartest wife in the world. 
Um, total credit to her. So she's actually, uh, she's been to school for PR. She has a degree and all these different degrees in the thermometer and PR. So like when we were launching my podcast, she actually did a PR program behind it, which meant like getting me in local news, helping me um, like get seen out there. And then when we were getting more growth, like one of the things that she was helping me do was get another podcast. So we're like, okay, this makes a ton of sense. So it was kind of this interesting, like, I guess, you know, marriage in a different way because, you know, we're married before that, but marriage and like my knowledge of how podcasts work and her knowledge of how PR works. And mm. I think that's why, you know, what we do is so much more interesting than a lot of companies in our space because we have the podcasting viewpoint with the PR viewpoint. And I think it really kind of makes a lot of those things make a lot of sense. It's, it's funny because as I said, I was always a history nerd. So like what she did and what I did were the two furthest things from each other. Right. Um, and now to be business partners and working together, it's like, you know, it, it works so well. I love it. Why, why do you think that people should be looking to get on the podcast? Well, so, so here's the thing, especially like if you're trying to get traffic to your own podcast, like, and, and you've probably seen this as a host, how hard is it to tell somebody that doesn't know what a podcast is, what a podcast is? Oh, absolutely. Can, like to like a, a what a radio, what? So like, you're already going in front of people that already listen to podcasts. So your first barrier is gone. They already listen to podcasts and know how to find you. And then they get to spend 30, 45 minutes, an hour. If you're Joe Rogan, you know, 27 hours or whatever the heck it is, his podcast interviews are um, with you. So they build a relationship with you. And I think that's just really incredible. There's no other platform that lets you build a relationship with someone like a podcast. Because like a radio show, what are they? Six minutes, 15 minutes at the most. Like you're when you're a guest on a radio show, like it's quick. Or even man. TV. TV, it's quick, it's quick, it's quick. Like, you know, like I'll see somebody share a radio or TV spot and it's like, yeah, I was on for four and a half minutes. Like you don't get to know somebody in that period of time. And I think that's the real difference here. Um, and, and even just like from a guest standpoint, like you were telling me your story here before we started recording. And it's like, I'm like, dude, I got to interview you. And I think that's the incredible thing here is like, you also like, you get to make some incredible friends with people that you appear on their show and they appear on yours. Like this networking ability is incredible. Oh yeah, absolutely. And just like you said, I mean, it's hard to do business with people who you don't know, like, and trust. Yeah. Right? And the quickest way to gain trust is you have to spend more time with that person. And how do Correct. you spend more time? If you're on a podcast, just like you said, 45, 50 minutes, that's a lot of time. You're sitting in a car, you can really hear their energy come through. You can really mm -hmm. hear the why behind it. It doesn't matter about their product or their service, but they told you their why, they told you the context of their life. And then they're yeah. like, yo, that resonated with me. You know, I, I'm an animal lover as, well, uh, lover as well. I'm a history lover as well. Like, yo, I really got to talk to him, <laughs> right? I mean, well, but I that's the reality. There's somebody out there that's listening that's like, yo, that feels like this is my brother. Well, and the, and the thing I would add to that too, that, that people actually don't consider, but it's actually really important as well. There's a book um, that I'd recommend everybody read. It's called Positioning the Battle for Your Mind by Al. I don't know if it's Rees or Rise, but it's R-I-E-S. Um, okay. It's like one of the best books on positioning. So positioning is the idea of being seen um, like with something and positioned as either forward or against it, right? Like, you know, like I like macaroni and cheese. Oh, that's the macaroni and cheese guy. And looking at it in this way, like, you're actually gaining positioning when you're on different podcasts, right? Like, you know, you're actually growing your celebrity from other people's celebrities. Like if you're seen with like, you know, Dave Asprey, or if you're seen with Grant Cardone, or if you're seen with some of these people, you're actually growing your own positioning and your own thought leadership too. And that's the thing that's really, really key that people aren't thinking about is the positioning because you're getting that position in people's minds that the person that, you know, you're either, you're being seen with already holds. 
A hundred percent, hundred percent, man. I couldn't even said it better. And I got to read that book, Positioning the Battle. And it's mind. an old school book. It's from like a seventies, but it's like one of the best books I've ever read on positioning. No, I love it. Now, for you, do you feel like um, that the pot? Because a lot of people they're thinking right now they're like, I don't know if I want to start a podcast. I know that you're big on the PR side and helping people amplify their message. Yeah, with podcast. But for a lot of people right now, I've been hearing that people don't want to start podcasts one because they don't know what they want to talk about, how niche they should be, um, mm -hmm. and then two because they feel like it's saturated. What yeah. would be your responses to to both of those things? Like, first off, how niche do you need to be? Because some people just like to talk about anything, right? They want yeah. more of a radio show. So, and that's really interesting because I feel like that's changed a lot over the years. Because if you look at my show, like it's not that niche, but it's because it's been around for five years. You know what I mean? So you didn't have to you didn't have to be that much in a niche five years ago. You just didn't because there was a lot less shows. Um, I think there was like three hundred fifty thousand shows when I started, which now there's 1.7 million. Like it's yeah, incredible. It's um, so it's a smaller number. The thing I'll say now is the niche is more important than ever right now. It's vital. Like, and the, and the reason is because you want to be known for a certain thing. And the thing I'll say as well is you have to differentiate from those in your niche even because so many times people would be like, all right, um, I'm going to start a show just like entrepreneur on fire. And there's 250,000 shows that are exactly like it. They use the same words. They use the same way of talking. They do the same rapid fire questions at the end and you're not memorable right? You have to be different than other people in the space and have a difference of opinion than other people in your space, because then you're memorable. And, and, you know, like we, we you know, we look at entrepreneur on fire. We look at the Joe, Joe Rogan show. They've done an incredible job. Don't copy them. That's them. You have to find mm. out what's different about what you're doing, or there's no point in you having a podcast, right? Cause people aren't going to remember you. Right. And I think that's the vital thing you have to keep in mind, serve a niche and you have to be different even within that niche. And here's, here's the thing that I, that I like to say, you have to start small to go big. Because mm -hmm. once you get, and I was talking to, uh, I don't know if you know this guy, but if you don't, you should definitely connect with him. His name's Mike RC. Um, he's really so. big in the fitness space. He's had a podcast for like many years. And they started- Is he really connected with Billy Jean? He is connected with Billy Jean. Yeah, yeah, I think I do know who you're talking about. I don't know him, but I think yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So he started very niche in the fitness industry. And he's like, we don't work with big box gyms. We don't work with uh, CrossFit gyms. They were like really, really niched. And as their business has grown, they started serving the whole fitness industry. And now they serve more than just the fitness industry. But you have to start small and gain that amount of followers. It's like that, that uh, thousand true fans type idea. You have right. to work with your people and then you can grow out from there. Got it. It's, it's like the snowball effect, right? And 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 here's the other thing that I'd say, because I always say this, and I guess yeah. this is positioning 101, right? But I think that you don't necessarily have to be super niche. If you're if you're not super niche, you have to be prepared to go through a lot of frustration and, and turmoil, though. Because you can get there the other way, but mm -hmm. you have to have great systems in place. You have to have brand managers in place. You have to have other people. Because when you look at Gary Vee, like Gary Vee, yes, he started out as the wine guy or even Lewis Howe who started out in LinkedIn sales or things like that. But mm -hmm. then the question becomes, and I'm always interested to hear what other people have to say, at what point did they pivot out of that? Because people be like, right. oh, you got to start there. Well, at what point do you know that you can let that go and you can become more of a success coach or a mindset guy or a business builder? And, and I think that's the really, really vital thing, but there's no like perfect answer to that, right? Like you have to kind of see where it's going and see when you feel like you finally, I guess, um, I guess the easy way to put it is kind of reached a power in that space, right? Like where you're very, very well known in your space. And you're like, okay, I can try to start doing a little more, you know, because you look at, uh, I think Lewis House is a great example of that. 
um, because with him, he started with LinkedIn and teaching people how to use LinkedIn. But then step two for him, which is the part nobody talks about, is he started a, uh, one of the largest LinkedIn groups for former athletes that were uh, trying to connect. And he started this uh, LinkedIn group. And then he took advantage of the fact, and this is brilliant, that early on, you could actually use those LinkedIn groups to add people to your email list. So he grew this massive email list from LinkedIn. And then he had this following that wanted more content from him. And that's where his podcast came in and everything else he was doing came in. So I think you really have to see where that natural progression is. And it's hard at times, man, because there isn't a perfect answer to that. Right. But it kind of goes back to the idea of like when people start asking you for something, it's kind of time to do something more. You know what I mean? Oh, I love it, man. I love it. That's so much wisdom, so much knowledge. Let me. So you've read lots of books and you've already given us some keys. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm interested to hear other people's book ideas a lot of the times, but sometimes I'm like, nah, maybe not. But for you, I'd be very interested. Like in the last three years, has there been one book as you've been on this journey, right? You two, 2015, you really got back into the podcast and space. You run three years, two and a half years, and you're going fast. Like What's been over the last three years, a book that you said, oh my God, if I would have had this book when I was first starting out, it would have changed the game. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know, dude. There's been so many. Um, I'm a big reader of like biographies and autobiographies because I think you learn a lot about how people think. Um, so I read, I actually pulled out my Audible account right now and I'm, I'm reading these off. Um, like The Closer by Mariano Rivera. It's a book yeah. about his life. Incredible to learn how that guy thinks and like what he's been through. Like he almost died when he was like seven, when him and his dad were on a boat that sank. Um, the captain about Derek Jeter, incredible. Like in what that guy's done in his life. I'm, I'm a big baseball fan. I can see that you're a big Northeastern. You're, I'm a Yankee fan, man. So like, or, or, and I'm not a Patriots fan, but I found Belichick to be an incredible book about how Bill Belichick thinks. So like, I like to know how these guys think and, and what they really do in their life. I read another book um, called The Great Bridge. And um, it's about the family, the father and son that built the Brooklyn Bridge um, before the turn of the turn of the 20th century. So they built it when like a lot of the machinery we have today didn't even exist. Right. And, you know, the father dies. The son keeps starts building the bridge. Um, the son gets uh, what's called the bends. Have you heard of that? We get like nitrogen in your blood and you, you have a problem because you have too, you're they're too far underwater. So the pressure like got him really sick. Got so it. then his wife, before the turn of the 20th century, runs the entire project. So when, when women didn't even like have the ability to like vote at that point in time. So like, it's incredible to learn how people think, how they operate and how they deal with adversity. So to me, I'm always looking for a good biography or autobiography. I love it, man. Let me ask for somebody that's watching your, your story now and they love it. And they say, okay, he's, he, he's at the point right now where he's really helping to crush it in so many people's lives. But if he could look back and he could ask himself, what's one thing that you wish you would have changed or that you wish you would have implemented sooner to accelerate your process on your journey and where you are today, what would that one thing be? I think it would be learning how to become a better interviewer sooner. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I feel like it took me like 200 interviews to feel like I was good at it. Um, and I find that like really, really great interview skills, like make people like you more. They make relationships go better. And it's a skill I've learned how to use in every area of my life. So I would say learn how to become a better interviewer faster. Um, and like those first, go ahead. I was just going to ask, I, I, I thought um, you might've been finishing up, but I was just going to ask, is that something of just studying the greats or was there a technique that allowed you to become a better interviewer? So there's a, there's a couple things on that. Like part of it's the preparation, like you learn how to prepare better. So like what I'll do is I'll see if somebody's done an interview with somebody that I like and respect and it doesn't have to be podcasting. It can be, they've been on TV or YouTube or show or whatever it is. 
And I'll listen to that first. And I'll listen for a couple different things. Do they hesitate? If they hesitate, there was more there. Um, do they answer a question in a way where I'm like, yeah, they didn't answer the question the right way. I want to, I want to ask that question in a different way. So as you learn how to ask a better question and it's, you can, it's really interesting when you, when you watch really good interviews, like Oprah's really good, good at this, like the way they set a question up gets the, the response they want. You know what I mean? Like right. people ask too many, way too open-ended questions. Like she'll set a question up with, she'll take two minutes to ask the question because the setup is really, really important. So I think that's what I've learned is, is really studying people that are great at interviewing and learning some of those techniques. Like, yeah, you ask a good question. The best part's actually the follow-up because then what they tell you then gives you everything they need to ask an even better question. So, so that's a lot of what I've learned is just really technique, but also the ability, like the doing it teaches you the senses you need to do more of it. Yeah, man, the execution removes all doubt. That's what I say. Yeah. You got to keep doing it. And it's so funny that you say that because people say all the time to me, like, oh my God, you ask such the best questions. But I'll be honest, I started like my first 15 episodes, I was interviewing, or I was like really studying Tim Ferriss or, or people like that. But after a while, I didn't because we were having so many shows, but I just tried to make sure that I kept executing and it's never yeah. going to be perfect especially if you don't have a style that's very scripted where you know your questions but mm -hmm. here's what if people can tell when you're genuine and when you're not trying to set them up for failure like yes. when you're coming from a level of curiosity if i just want to know and i want to make sure that we can set you up to be a superstar like people love that so i would 100 percent agree becoming a better interviewer one builds the relationship but two it instantly gains that trust with whoever the person that's being interviewed is and you just have to keep executing because every question isn't going to be perfect. But now you got me in my mind. And I'm like, Yo, I don't know that I really went back and studied Oprah. I'm probably leaving Dude, a if lot you want to learn how table. to interview, you got to watch Oprah. She's good because because what she'll do. And it's, I'm trying to think of a, of a way to explain this. Like, you know, there was a time in your life when you said blah, 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 blah. And then I also read in the book that you said blah, 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 blah. Based on that, do you blah, 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 blah. Like she's really good at like setting up all of the things that you need to actually get the type of response you can talk about. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, 100%. But I guess my question to you, and this is a little bit offset, but like, do you yeah. think that somebody can do that when it's just them? Because that takes a lot of research, right? We know that behind Oprah, behind Ellen, behind these top yeah. interviewers, they have people that have already done all of the prerequisites, right? And and then when they yeah. brief Oprah, you know, it's like, here's all the things that he's done. Here's what we kind of want to take the conversation. Do you think that one person with just having a podcast can do that themselves? And if so, how? I, I do. I do because, and here's the thing, like I have an editing team and all that, but like nobody helps me with prep. That's me because nobody, I haven't found anybody yet that knows what I look for when I interview somebody, which is interesting. So mm -hmm. like, it has to be from me. So like one of the things I'll do is if they have a book, um, I'll listen to it on two times speed, which, you know, they sound like chipmunks, but it is what it is. And I take some notes on that because you get some insight. Um, but like, I love to listen to their interviews with other people because it teaches me so much about how they communicate. Because that's vital, right? Like if somebody answers long or short, you know whether you have to supply more, supply less, if you have to steer them better, things like that. So like based on that, you can kind of learn where you want to go for it, go with it. And at the same time, like the purpose of this is really, really helping people. It's also not gotcha journalism. You know what I mean? So like, right. like, I, like I, I'm really excited. Uh, later today, I'm interviewing uh, former heavyweight champion Riddick Bowe. Yeah. And, and, and in the 90s, he had some real difficult things in his life. Now, when you look at something like that, for me, I would ask him, you know, you had some really difficult adversity in your life. What did you learn from that that has changed how you operate the rest of your life? When you look at a lot of other people, they may look at that and they would ask him like very particular things about what he did there. And it's kind of like, what's the point in that? The point in this is teaching somebody. 
So you want to figure out how you can make teachable moments in the way that you're questioning. Oh, that, that, that's good. That's good. Look, I'm learning too, people. If you're, <laughs> I'm learning too. I'm like, listen, the point of this is not, that's got, that's gotta be a, a clip right there. This is not to have gotcha moments. It's right? not, I mean, that's not the point of it. Right? No, I love it, man. And that's why I love being on, you know, amazing thought leaders, just like you, because there's always times that we can gain a different perspective to let us know how to sharpen our iron. And Correct. that's what it's all, it doesn't matter. You always have to be a student of the game of the craft. It doesn't matter what your craft is. If you're not learning from other people, no matter where they are on the spectrum, then you're missing out on a vital part for you to become the best version of you. Right. So, I love it, man. I love it. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Here's what I want to ask you. you last. There's somebody that's out there that, um, they're inspired by you, not only me, right? But they are inspired by you. They love your journey, where you got to, they love all your wisdom, but they have that little voice in their head. And that little voice says that they're not smart enough. They're not strong enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. What's that final thing that you would leave that person with to get them to just take action? So I would tell them the simplicity of there's somebody out there that can only hear what they need to hear from you. And, and you are the one to give that to them. And you have to keep that in mind because I think so many times when we stop, it's because we make it about us. And when we realize that we're making it about the people that we could be helping and the people we should be helping, that's the difference, man. When you can make it about other people and not just you, that's what gets you past kind of the, the crap in your head. Oh man, I love it, right? I, I always say that your story is not for you, right? And when yep. you take that pressure off of you of feeling like I gotta step up, I gotta shine today and you say, no, I'm just here to serve. Man, that's that's powerful right there. Again, my brother, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I want to ask for anybody that is looking to stay connected with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so they can find anything they want about me over at jeremyryanslate.com or if they're interested in the the PR side of things, um, we put together a really awesome white, pe white paper called The Seven Reasons You're Not Getting Featured on Your Favorite Podcasts. They can actually get that over at commandyourbrand.com slash seven reasons. And the word seven or the number seven will work for that. I love it, man. Well, thanks again, my brother. I appreciate you. Um, I want to be the first one, if no one else has told you today, to say thank you. And I appreciate you again. And we look forward to watching your journey. We look forward to watching your growth. We're going to make sure that we put all of those links in the show notes. And remember, Dream Nation, just as he said, somebody else out there needs to hear it from you, which means that you have to take action on your dreams. Because if you don't, that dream that you have will only merely be a fantasy. We'll catch you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.